Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Lauren Dahl of Pattern Workshop. Hundreds of students, both aspiring and well-established designers, have used Lauren's step-by-step method to create their first PDF sewing patterns or to improve upon their current processes. Whether you're just sketching ideas and have never used Illustrator, or if you're a well-known designer with several patterns under your belt, this course can dramatically speed your production time and fun. So you can release more patterns with less frustration. Visit patternworkshop.com to learn more. Welcome to episode 58 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about teaching quilting online with my guest, Rob Appel. Rob Appel is the host of Man Sewing, a YouTube channel of the Missouri Star Quilt Company. He's a quilter and national quilting instructor who travels and teaches at many premier quilting shows and retreats. Rob Appel, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. Yeah, it's great talking to you. So I want to go way back um, and start at the beginning. Okay, fine. <laughs> your, your mom, uh, Judy. Yeah, we, yes. yeah we, only have, we only have an hour, though. Yeah, yes, big, I know. Okay. Yes, my mom, sorry, your my mom, mom Judy. Judy Appel, so she had, huh? a quilt, she had a quilt shop in um, Morro Bay, California, and it was called The Cotton Ball. That is correct. And um, it opened in 1969, which was before I was born. And yes, um, was well. she was she the original owner of that shop? No, she wasn't. Um, Sylvia Cook started it. Uh, she sold it to her daughter, Debbie Linker. My mom uh, managed the store for the last few years that Debbie owned it. And then Debbie gave her the offer to purchase it. And then she purchased it. And we ran it together for a lot of years after that. Okay. So um, were you like a kid when that transfer happened? And so your mom became the owner? No, I was just out uh, actually traveling around going to junior college. And so I came home uh, on a summer break, basically, to find that my mom uh, had basically taken over this quilt shop. Okay. So, um, so you, you kind of helped her run it or did you work there? Uh, yeah, well, I, I used to go kicking and screaming, you know, on those Sunday drives and she'd want to go just like, look at the store. I just, I couldn't imagine, you know, such a place, um, in my lifestyle. And then I started working with literally just taking out the trash, uh, sweeping the floors, being a warm body. I was in the restaurant business. I was working, uh, behind the scenes as a assistant chef. And was really enjoying that and just kind of found myself in the store. And I was actually starting to date who is now my wife of 17 years and she was getting her teaching credentials. So we needed some extra income. And I was basically working the quilt shop uh, during the day and uh, the, the restaurant business at night. And over the years, I realized how much I enjoyed the creativity and the troubleshooting that went on in the, in the quilting industry. And uh, we also brought in a sewing machine dealership. So now I had some like hands on something to do inside the building and inside the business that I started to specialize in. And I just fell in love with the people. And so when it came, push came to shove, I was able to give up my restaurant career and begin my crafting career. Okay. So restaurant, I mean, it's not all that different cooking in that like it is hands-on. You are taking raw materials, raw ingredients, you're making something creative that people enjoy. And it's also sort of like a hobby kind of business, you know, like people cook as a hobby, people quilt as a hobby, but then it's also a business. So I can see some similarities there, but were you 
always interested in like the visual arts? I mean, is that something you had done as a kid? What did you like to draw and did you take art classes? Oh, what a fantastic question. Uh, yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, um, I was terrible in art class, but I love to draw mostly cartoon. Um, when I was in middle school and high school, the far side, you know, I, Gary Larson was just getting started. And so I like to draw those kind of single out, uh, cartoons. I guess that's why I like quilting is I only have to make one at a time. I don't have to make, you know, like a comic strip where I, I make the same thing over and over and over again. And, um, I had a lot of people recommend that I look at art school and I was terrified to make a living as an artist. So just like you said, I found myself in the restaurant, but then I grew into more of the, the menu planning and the, the, both the visual presentation of the food and the, you know, the physical culinary presentation of the food. And so that was very much on the art level. Um, and then in quilting as well. So yeah, I, I think I actually, the fun way to say it is quilting became my career because I was avoiding being an artist and now look at it. It's, it's totally an art career. You know, I, I think that that is probably true for many of us. I mean, I, oh, yeah. Growing up, I was definitely told, like, you do not go into becoming an artist. Like, you'll never make any money. You need to be a teacher. You need to get, like, a real education, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it was scary. And it's funny how, you know, when it's with you all these years later, it's still there. And um, and now I feel like it is really possible to make it into a business. There are a lot of different options of, of ways to make money through art. And so... It never leaves you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really fun. I enjoy kind of giving that presentation. Uh, sometimes I get to lecture at the college or the middle schools um, and talk about, you know, we start talking about fabric design, but I wrap it up with all the different jobs in the industry because, I mean, even nowadays, especially with the, the virtual side of this, I mean, there's all kinds of photography and media and programming that goes into the quilting industry. And so there are jobs for everybody out there in, the, in this world. Yeah, yeah. So is Morro Bay, I've never been there. Is it kind of like a, is it like a tourist destination? Is it near, is it, I get the feeling it's sort of near the beach. Uh, it is right on the beach. It's a sub, it's a little beach town, uh, just slightly north of San Luis Obispo. Okay. Uh, San Luis Obispo is a lot like Santa Barbara, but we don't have the population. Uh, we don't have quite as nice of weather. Uh, I'm going to tell everybody that's listening that it's always foggy and it's always dreary. And then when they plug, <laughs> when they plug their ears, I'm going to tell them how, uh, oh my gosh, we've had the most incredible weather the last couple of years. It's been fantastic. And yeah, so I can surf every morning. Um, we have the ocean is literally like less than a mile from my house. Um, and it's a really fun, it's about 10,000 people. It's a cute little fantastic little community. Like I, I was, it was kind of funny this morning I was changing after surfing and one of the ladies had pulled up and she was one of the customers of the quilt shop for years. And she saw my name on the side of the truck and, and uh, she's like, Rob, you're still around. What are you doing? Are you still living here? And, and it was really kind of, it was fun. And yet it was a little embarrassing trying to change out of my wetsuit while like, <laughs> A quilting client of mine was uh, watching me get naked. <laughs> that is funny. It's a small town. Um, small town, yes. Yeah. So, okay. So after after 40 years working at the quilt shop, uh, yeah. it was time for your mom, you know, to to let the, the shop go, um, to retire and yes. uh, and move on. And, um, and did you have an idea that that was back in 2010? And did you think to yourself, well, that's what I'll do. I'll just... I'll run a quilt shop and live here and, and raise my family and that'll be my business. Or, or were you sort of like, no, I don't really want to 
you know, sort of have that as my, as my main business? No, running the quilt shop was always one of those dreams um, early on, like uh, probably back in 2007 or, or eight, we started gearing me up to run the shop. Um, and I really wanted to purchase it and have it as kind of my retirement uh, income. I love being a part of the store. But the bottom line was, is I didn't expect to have my traveling career take off and the popularity of it. And then I also have, you know, a wife and two children. And I was just too darn busy to do both. And I was not doing a very good job with the quilt shop once my mom left. Like, we were a really good team, the two of us. But she was really the buyer. She she chose all the fabrics. And we, we used to make the joke that I was just shopping for the sale table. Everything I would buy at market would end up, you know, <laughs> a year later on sale. Uh, I always said it was because I was ahead of my time. But we're just going to – we're going to stop that conversation. And and so, um, yeah, funny enough, um, in, in – and doing all of it, I really wanted to have the quilt shop. And when my mom decided that it was time for her to retire, um, she at that point advised me that I should step out on my own as well. And I was like, no way, mom, I, I can't, I couldn't imagine not being able to do this without the cotton ball. I can't, I can't, I can't do it without the shop. And so I tried to run the shop for about another year and a half and I just wasn't being very successful with it. And we saw that there were people that wanted to purchase it. It was still was a very valuable business. And um, so that was when I took my leap of faith. And it was a very reluctant leap of faith that I took actually when I stepped out on Rob Appel Designs independently. Yeah, that must have been because there's not a sure income. You don't own the store anymore. So no, yeah, no. And the mortgage is due on the first of every month, and we try to eat three times a day. And, I, yeah, I was scared to death. Um, and the Lord was really good to me, and that was kind of where I learned to be very faithful was how quickly things turned uh, in, in, into more of a positive. I mean, I've always been blessed, but I, I, things became very, very fluid for me right after that. So what do you feel like, I mean, you're still in, very much in the industry, just in different and new ways. And I wonder what you feel like you learned from being those years of being involved in sort of the retail quilt shop end of this industry, which is really kind of the foundation of the industry in a lot of ways. And so that yeah. gives you a particular perspective to be there day in, day out, to see the budget, to see the customers, to see yeah. the fabric that ends up on the sale table, yeah. um, to see, you know, people's machines come in people's questions and so what kind of perspective you know from those years sticks with you now oh gosh another fantastic question uh, i'm going to say that the first thing that came to mind when you started asking the question was timing um, as a quilt shop owner, your most difficult thing is timing the, the supply chain of fabric with the, against the supply and delivery of media because you have magazines, you have books, you have now the internet with blogs and, and YouTube and all the different things. Having the right product, you know, fabric is kind of perishable in a way. It, it's very, it's very clicky or, or faddish if, if I can. And so, um, that was the thing that I always took away was trying to be able to have the timing right. And as we develop stuff, um, so I do most of the development of the projects and almost all of the sewing for what they, people see on man sewing. And so it, I'm always trying to make sure that we have things available for the inventory because uh, obviously we sell a lot of goods through Missouri Star. Um, and it, it's even a little bit more 
difficult keeping that timing right. So that was the first thing. And then the other thing that I think really became important to me was because I was speaking to each customer individually was how passionate we all are about our craft. And, and so there's really, in my opinion, not a lot of BS allowed in this, in this industry. If you don't really love it, it shows and people will just find somebody to be inspired by that really does love it. Um, and, and so that was the other thing I found early on is that the, the, their enthusiasm for the craft really excited me and that I felt like I really needed to be genuine in, in everything that I tried to do. Yeah. You know, and that's interesting because it kind of brings me to my next question, which is about that enthusiasm. I feel like, um, I've watched lots of your videos oh, thanks. prior to man sewing and on man sewing. And I feel like you have that enthusiasm and you really excel as a performer. Like you're very energetic yet also at ease. Like if you make a little mistake or you forget (laughs) to say something or whatever, it doesn't throw you, you know, like you're sort of able to keep going. You're very charismatic and poised. And I just wondered whether, um, you know, have you always enjoyed sort of the performance end of thing? Has that been something that, you know, as a kid, were you always like doing on shows or anything like that? No, my kids are, they're great that way, but no. And and thank you for the compliment, by the way. Um, uh, no, I really haven't getting comfortable with the camera is the most difficult thing about what I try to do with man sewing, but I've been teaching quilting for gosh, almost 11 years. I think no, no, my son is 12. So I've been teaching quilting 13 years. And so I, I really love teaching to a live audience because then I can use the audience's feedback to morph the class. So what I've learned through man sewing, and I think I've gone to Missouri now maybe six times to film. We film in big chunks of maybe, you know, six or seven shows at a time is that, uh, I try to be more and more prepared in advance. Uh, I try to be more and more relaxed. Uh, I am because of the high energy also comes high anxiety. So I really try to get up early and like get my head right before I go into the studio to film. Um, but funny enough, I just took some, like, I don't want to call them acting classes, but they were, uh, like classes on how to be comfortable with yourself on film. And it was a, a private workshop and it was really entertaining. And, and so I'm hoping I leave for Missouri on Monday. And, and so three days from the day we're, we're doing this, this interview. And so, I'm really hoping that it gets to show through. I think we've got some neat new ideas. So I'm glad that you all think I'm, I'm comfortable on camera because yeah, you definitely appear to be. And oh, I feel like, um, so what did, what did you, um, pick up in your private workshop? Is there a tip or two that you yes. can share from, from yes. what you learned? Yeah. And this probably applies to all of us because what I do uh, with the cameraman and producer is I am too much in charge of the admin and the development and the nuts and bolts uh, of the actual working of getting the supplies involved and getting the stuff in Missouri and getting the step outs all right. And so before I start filming, I'm in too much of a director's role. And so I've been given permission to take five minutes and just like literally close my eyes and just breathe deep and try to settle down a little bit um, so that I can go into a presenter's mode. And then my job in presenter's mode is just to have fun presenting the information and not worry that all the parts and pieces are there because I've already turned off that director mode. We've already gone through it. I already know this stuff is there. I don't need to worry anymore. And so that's the, that'll be the big thing going forward is realizing that I can wear both hats, but not at the same time. Right. That's a really good point. Because we all do everything ourselves yes. pretty much. 
Yeah, we definitely do. And it is hard to shift gears if you're the one organizing and orchestrating, but then also presenting. So that's a good tip. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I'm wondering, um, when, when you were in college in junior college, as you said, did you, Uh um, were you studying like, um, culinary school or was that like, what were you working on in, in college? Uh, primarily mathematics. Oh, really? Yeah. I had a fantastic math. I actually had several fantastic math teachers, uh, through my, my schooling and I really wanted to do math, uh, uh, be like a high school math teacher. Um, in California, the year I graduated, a bunch of teachers were given their pink slips, which is like their early termination notice kind of thing. And it was most of the young teachers and it kind of broke my heart. And so that's when I decided to be a, an artist and live out of a van and travel around snowboarding and surfing, <laughs> backpacking and, and, and all of that. So, um, no, in college, when I came back to go to school, again, I was mostly getting my AA with a focus on mathematics, um, fell deeply in love and wanted to go on a water ski trip and basically left for an early weekend and never came back to school. Uh, but at least I'm married, you know, now that's 20 years ago that that water ski trip happened, 17 years of marriage. So, yeah. You know. And I think your career really proves that, you know, getting like a traditional degree like that is not necessarily the right or only way to have success. Um, cause you've certainly had a lot of success. And so, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what it, I've also, also learned is you can go to the first day of the junior college and get the syllabus for all the classes that look entertaining. And then you can just show up and sit at the back of the room for any lecture or, or movie. Like I, you know, there's great marine biology classes that go on like labs and stuff that happen at my local college. And I think I'm convinced I could just sneak in for any of the information I wanted now that I know how the system works. Right. In other words, you can teach yourself what it is <laughs> yes. you need to know. And I definitely didn't go to school for what I do now. And so, um, anyway, I just think that that's, um, something important for people to realize that you can shift gears and sort of pursue what it is you want to pursue, even if you haven't gotten like a formal piece of paper to do that. So, um, you're definitely an example of somebody yeah. who's doing, doing that. Yeah. Well, and I know not to, I don't want to be, you know, we're, we're talking quilting today, so we're not doing religion. We're not doing politics and that, but I really feel like so much of what I, I was trying to do was make my own decisions. And when I realized that I feel like God had a path for me, that it was really kind of fun to step back and just follow that path. And so resisting being an artist was just wasting my time learning that I was going to get to be blessed as an artist, then finally made it smooth. When I stopped resisting is when it actually really fell into place. And so I think a lot of us want to go off to school because we think we're supposed to maybe get a, I'm going to say a business degree or something like that. But maybe if we just followed our passion, the the business would follow because our passion would bring us into the business realm and we would learn through the school of hard knocks as well. Mm-hmm. And I get the sense you're, you're a kind of a religious guy. Is that, is that right? I mean, do you feel, are you like a, a pretty, uh, you know, is religion a, a big part of your daily life? Uh, it is now. Uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And so the last four years now, three and a half years, it's been since I've had a drink. And so the last Year, few years have just really been about self-awareness for me and just trying to put my entire life package together for my wife and my kids and myself. And so, yeah, God is a part of that. I like the term Jesus follower. Um, I, I, I listen to a lot of different podcasts. I'm part of a local church um, that I really enjoy. Um, and I truly believe that when I first started coming out of the alcoholism, my prayer was that my creativity could speak to people so that I could find the better side of my myself. And that was, that was my devotion every morning. And it's, I, I feel like it's now starting to come 
to play. Wow. That sounds like such a huge hurdle to overcome. So good for you. And I know, Thank you. I know that um, from talking to people who have struggled with alcohol, that it's really a, a lifelong thing. Um, you know, it's a, a day-to-day lifelong thing that you, you always work on. So oh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I do. I, I will fall. I'll finish up with this then. So we, I know we probably should move on, but for all of the people that are struggling with the concept of all the the years I wasted knowing that I needed to drink at least less, if not, not drink at all. I, I had so much mental time that was dedicated to planning out my drinking or not drinking. Cause it was such a turmoil mentally for me that now that I just, I just finally had to say, I just don't drink. So it's just a decision that was made years ago. And now I just don't have to think about it anymore. The mental clarity and the, the physical fitness I have, it's just like, I would have given it up 20 years ago. If I would have known, I would feel physically this good every day. Mm, that's amazing. So that's my, that's my pitch to everyone that's yeah. on the fence. Try it. You feel better. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely something generally in life to be said about having um, a decision pre-made. And so when stressful times come or decision, hard things have to be decided, there's you have um, personal rules and regulations that you follow that are pre-decided. I don't I do that. I always do this. Um, and then you just kind of already know the answer and don't have to worry about it because you've already made that decision. So yes. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. Intentional living goes a long ways. And especially even if you're focusing your intentional living on your, your crafting goals and your, and your artist goals. I mean, we can wrap it around that direction too. And you know, you could just say, gosh, I want to spend 15 minutes every day practicing free motion machine quilting. And I guarantee you by the end of the month, you will, you will be better than you were at the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. And if you always say, well, I always do that at night from 8 to 8.30 or whatever, right. you know, and that's yeah. just, there's no question if there's a show on at that time, I don't watch the show. If somebody calls, I don't answer the phone because between 8 and 8.30, I'm practicing free motion quilting. So that's, exactly. I've already made that decision. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And that kind of, I love those sorts of rules because I do think they are so helpful for accomplishing your goals. So, um, so that's great. Um, so how did you meet Jenny Doan? Did you, or how did you sort of connect with Missouri Star? Because I feel like that's a new chapter and it's oh, yeah. certainly something that's been exciting to watch and new. And so I'm wondering how that initial meetup or connection was made. Sure. It was uh, less than a year ago um, that, uh, so I'm, I'm going to back up one even step and, and kind of tell the whole man stowing story Go and tell this story at the same time, if that's okay. Sure. So, um, man sewing, uh, because Jenny Doan with Missouri star on YouTube was doing fantastic. They were at the threshold. They were like at 197,000 subscribers at that point. And so they got the idea. What if we had a guy doing a show that was not quilting? It would be other kind of crafting and sewing that, uh, that is products that we still represent and we'll call it man sewing and we'll try to get a different demographic than what we're using, than who's following Jenny. And so, they actually had a lot of it figured out. And um, I, it sounds like you really do a lot of research. You probably even saw some of the man sewing before it converted to what you see now, what it had a whole different look and everything to it. Um, and so what happened was apparently, and I don't know the story, but things just didn't end up working out with, with the first guy that they got him excited about doing the idea. And so they were kind of in a pickle. They wanted to launch it around the beginning of 2014 uh, excuse me, 2015. Uh, I don't even know what year I'm in anymore. <laughs> uh, and so 
uh, in October, like late October, my friend Nancy Rosenberger, who's been in the industry for a lot of years as well, um, she called me. She was one of my mom, or she is one of my mom's best friends. Um, they've done a lot of different things together in the industry. And so Nancy had been hired by Missouri Star, I'm going to guess like eight months earlier as the purchasing agent. So she's now in charge of making sure everything makes it to the warehouse on time to make it back out for all the customers. And so they asked Nancy if she was aware if there was any other guys in the industry that knew how to sew that could also stand in front of a camera. And I had just been doing some of the videos with like the quiltshow.com and I was doing some of my own videos on my own YouTube channel, just like traveling and a little bit of quilting videos. And so we did a a phone interview. I want to say, we're going to say like it was like you know, right at the end of October. And then they said, well, wow, this sure sounds like we could put something together. Fantastic. And Nancy warned me, she says, Rob, if you take this job, it will change your life completely. And, um, so we met at Houston international quilt market, which is, you know, uh, the end of October, um, so I guess I have the timeline a little out. Sorry, we had a phone call, and then I went to, to Houston, and we sat in the lobby at, like, we had, like, a 10.30 p.m. business meeting because it was the first time the guys from Missouri Star were available. And we sat down and had this interview, and it was like we kind of started the interview just assuming that I had the job. Like, I kind of went in with that kind of confidence, and they kind of had that kind of confidence. And so it was really a fantastic, fantastic first personal interview. And then a couple weeks later, they were flying me out to Missouri to see how the whole thing was going to work and start to build a set and meet everybody. So the first time I truly met Jenny was, um, I want to say I met her at that quilt market briefly, like a shake a hand kind of thing. But the first time I really met her, hung out with her was in Missouri in her sewing studio. I want to take a quick break from my chat with Rob to hear a little bit from our sponsor. I'm Lauren Dahl, and I'm the creator of Pattern Workshop. We were on vacation to, let's see, January, a year and a half ago, and um, I was doing grading for people, so people were paying me by the hour to grade patterns for them digitally. And I had all these people inquiring, but at the time I had a six month old son and I just didn't have time to do all that work. And my husband said, why don't you just teach these people how to do it? So it was just this aha moment where I thought this is brilliant. There are so many women and men that have all these great ideas stirring around in their heads and they want to start these businesses and they want help doing this, but they just don't have the tools to do it. They have the ideas, they have the artistic ability So I'm going to create this course. And he said, yes, do it. And so (laughs) that's kind of what started it. And on vacation, I started brainstorming the topic list and all the things I wanted to teach. And it started out as probably about eight or 10 lessons and it grew to over 30. And now it's just this huge comprehensive thing. And over 600 students have learned to create a business for themselves this way. A large majority of my students are moms, and so many of them have reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, you gave me the tools to be able to create extra income for my family or even replace an income that was lost or that that mom is no longer getting because she's not working. And then I've had younger entrepreneurs contact me and say, hey, I've been able to quit my job and pursue this full time, and I'm making a decent living doing this. And that feels so good to me because before, it was nice to grade patterns on an hourly basis, but I just couldn't, I couldn't help as many people. 
And now it's easy for me to kind of replicate that help and put the tools in people's hands so that they can do it themselves. A big thanks to Lauren Dahl from Pattern Workshop for sponsoring today's episode. And now back to my conversation with Rob Appel. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, and I think, I think she was right. Um, I think Nancy was right that it does really change your life because, um, yeah, yeah, Missouri star is really something to behold. It's, it's an amazing uh, business. And, um, and so, so I want to talk a little bit about, about the demographic that they were hoping to, to reach. You said a different demographic than the, the people that, um, that Jenny is reaching from her wonderful videos. And, um, your set is definitely very different from hers. You have kind of like a, it looks like, like age barnwood or something behind yeah, you yeah. and surfboards and skateboards and um it, it's definitely got kind of a, a masculine sort of den kind of feeling yeah, um, yeah. and um and i do wonder i mean i think watching these videos I'm, I'm they're about like 15 to 20 minute long and they're, they're you're presenting how to make a particular project and you show us how to cut the fabric how to sew it what you're you know what you're going to end up with at the end and they're almost like um it's almost like watching the food network in a way where you know, you are going to learn to make that particular dish. Um, you can get the recipe and make it yourself at home. But it's also like relaxing entertainment in a way, too, to watch somebody make something. For some reason, I'm not sure exactly why, but it appeals to us. Oh, great. As a, you know, as relaxation. And so um, anyway, I just wondered, like, who were they hoping to reach? Is it a younger audience, a male audience? I mean, and who, who does Jenny feel like her audience is? And what are those two different populations? Sure. I, and I'll, I'll do my best, but, you know, man sewing is a whole team. So there are people in front of computers right now crunching this data that would have much more specific answers for you. Uh, but, you know, Jenny's primarily per, primary audience today, even though it's about 300,000 subscribers on, on YouTube, is I'm going to still say, let's say, like the 55 and older Primarily female audience. Um, what Jenny learned early on, whether a lot of people though, men and folks that were maybe disabled or folks that maybe, um, she has some fantastic letters that she has saved from folks that maybe have, I think it's called agoraphobia, which is the fear of leaving your home. Um, there are people that have learned to quilt through YouTube that would have never gone to a traditional quilting class at a traditional quilt shop for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. So she kind of had that demographic and that demographic is the entire world, you know, uh, and so when they realized that she was touching people in a different way than any of us expected, that's where the real heartfelt motivation came from. And so with my demographic, it, it, our goal was, yes, to get more of I want Maybe it's easier to say to have a place where more uh, men would feel comfortable because of the masculinity of the show itself. But the projects, I, I don't know if I should even say this, but I actually fought them on the name of the show. I, I said, I'll take the job, but can we change the name? Because I really wanted it to feel all-inclusive. I didn't want people, and I still get this, oh, is it just projects for men? It's like, no, the take is really, it's a, the projects are made by a guy, and so I'm doing my personal approach, which is maybe more of an engineering approach or more of a technology approach approach um than a scrappy approach like jenny does a lot of scrap quilts and i like to organize my colors a little bit more so that that's not a male female thing that's just a personal thing um so the demographic that man sewing is capturing is is fun it's actually two of our major uh, demographics are obviously jenny's population 
um, the, the 55 and up. But also we have a, a good population of men, and we also have a good population of people that I want to say it's a 24 to 34-year-old uh, demographic. And we can track some of this because of folks that log in and follow us on Facebook and things like that. So we get more of a, are you a male? Are you a female? Are you, what, what is your age group? Mm-hmm. Through, the, through those kinds of uh, analyzing tools, I, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that the Missouri Star marketing team is very pleased with our demographic split, um, but we still find that the quilting generation, you know, that kind of that typical quilting generation, mm-hmm. um, is still a big fan. And so we're just going to lean our man sewing projects more into the quilting. We're going to go about 60 quilty, you know, 40% other kind of craft where originally it was okay. supposed to be 50 50. Okay, interesting. Because as you produce the shows and then watch the statistics of who's watching uh-huh. and how they're reacting and whether they're buying the kits or the fabrics yeah. right, that they need to make the projects and that sort of thing, you can kind of help to shape. I mean, that's one of the great things about online media is that you do get the, you know, you get that feedback, immediate feedback of who is, who is taking this in and who is enjoying it yeah. most. And yeah. then you can um, edit on the fly and say, okay, well then we're going to, you know, shape our content to meet more of those people. Cause those are our people. Yeah, literally within within about eight weeks, I can I can make a, a an immediate change. Like a lot of the feedback in the first couple of videos was your ironing board cover is too busy. We can't see what you're doing, and they probably thought I wasn't listening. But it just was going to be like eight more weeks until <laughs> I was back in Missouri to change the ironing board cover. So right. the first those six videos had a busy ironing board cover in it, but then it changed. And so yeah, hopefully if people that are listening to our show here today that they'll understand that yes, I film them in big chunks, so I definitely re- I read every comment like three times, but I can't change it overnight. But I can change it within a few months usually. Right. Because yeah. when you fly out there, you've already prepped all, yeah. is it six shows or eight shows? I've got 11 in my suitcase for Monday. Oh. I have 11 in my suitcase, but one is like going to be a conversation about, you know, thread, cross wound versus straight wound thread. One is going to be a promo. We've got some glow in the dark threads. We're going to be promoing for October as well. Um, so some of them are more advertising commercial kinds of shoots that we're going to play with this time. Um, we're feeling very fortunate that the audience is really liking like you said some of that more higher energy approach so we can use it kind of like uh to make little mini commercials for different things um that will be fine a little more engagement that way and then back to the, the demographic question and it's it's not a chartable demographic but personally the demographic i'm really hoping will be inspired by what's happening at man sewing is kind of that modern quilt generation and that generation of course spans the gap from you know our six-year-olds all the way up to our you know 89 year olds or whatever but um, you know, I think, I think modern quilters are a really fun bunch because they're always pushing the envelope and they're always looking to something that would be maybe a spin on a tradition. Um, but it gives them inspiration. And so I'm really hoping that modern quilters are following along with the show. And not only because I hope to be able to produce stuff that they'll enjoy, but it would be a real compliment to me because a lot of modern quilters really don't want to watch, you know, or they don't want to read instructions or don't want to read books because they want to be so organic themselves. So if I have modern quilters that are enjoying man sewing, then I take that as a, as a twofold compliment. Uh-huh, right. Some of the improv and sort of more free. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so-, so I hope to teach design that allows people to learn how to improv so that maybe we all can play in that modern quilt world a little bit too. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk a little bit about being a man in an industry that is predominantly populated by women? I mean, have there been 
instances, you've been to lots and lots of quilt markets, you've worked in a quilt shop, you've taught quilting all over the place, um, and now online as well. And have there been instances in which like gender has kind of reflected back at you, um, you know, that you are like a minority uh, in this industry? I mean, how, can you recall like particular times when you were sort of like, wow, okay. <laughs> um, you know, uh, for me, it's really been a super positive, positive thing for me. I, I can't, can't think of anything negative. And one of my favorite stories was my first trip to quilt market. We're walking through the big doors, you know, at the George R. Brown Convention Center there in Houston. And I decided to hold the door open for a lady to walk through. And then my mom came back like 30 minutes later and I was still holding the door. Like, and thousands of women had walked through the door. Like, she's like, you can't hold the door for every woman you see or you'll just never make it inside the show, bud. And so, um, that was really entertaining at that point. Um, yeah, I guess I had a negative experience recently. I, I teach every year in Sisters, Oregon, and we take over the whole high school. And one night was so crowded that the women had made it into the men's room, and I didn't have much time. I kind of came in late, and I really needed to use the restroom. And the women were in the men's restroom, and they told me I had to go out. And I was like, well, so I just ran back outside. I mean, it was Oregon. You know, there's plenty of trees everywhere. But, <laughs> you know, so I really, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to sound totally like a, like a jerk here, but I really think it's helped me. Um, you know, because when I first started quilting, there were very few men that were in on that side of the aisle and, you know, or that side of the table. There were a lot of men in the industry, but they were mostly salesmen. And some of them were, were engineers, but there were very few men that were designers. There were very few men that were actual quilt makers. I'm thinking like John Flynn and Joe Cunningham. And then like when I was quilting, like Ricky Tim's, I don't know who made it to quilt market first, myself or Ricky Tim's. I know when I went to Ricky Tim's first show, he was a bigger name than I was for sure. I mean, he's always been a bigger name than I was, but I can really only think of about four famous people that were male that were quilters. And so that gave me an immediate way to stand out, especially because I was in my early thirties, um, and, or my late twenties at that point. And I was doing a lot of applique quilts that were more scenic or landscape quilts. And so, and at that point, art quilts was still kind of a four letter word. And so, there were a lot of things that I was doing that I just didn't know better or worse, but I was just doing them. And so the ladies recognized me. And so then the benefit was, as I started going to quilt guilds to present, they all treated me like, like I was so special because I, I think I reminded them of that son or that grandson that they were dying to think would, would maybe someday actually operate a sewing machine. Like, like everywhere I go, people are like, oh, I wish my son would sew or I wish my daughter would get into it because I'm also that generation that kind of doesn't do much sewing. And so, you know, our our grandmother's generation really was wishing we would. And so I feel like it's been such a huge blessing for me to be a male in an industry that is predominantly a female-driven world because um, it was helped me to get recognized early and it helped me to become, I think, maybe a little more of a standout. Um, but on the back end of that, it, it also nowadays when I reflect back on that and I realize how blessed I am to travel so much and teach so much, the last two years I've really been trying to in, improve my actual workmanship, like my piecing, my quilting. I'm trying to do more challenging projects for my personal stuff because I feel like if folks are going to put me on a pedestal like this, I better live up to it. And so I'm trying to learn every day as much as I can. And I also try to really be a gentleman and try to not, not be too boastful and not, not try to stand out too much. Like I just, that's why I didn't want to like use the name man sewing is I really wanted to be 
just known as a, as a, as a quilter. I don't want to be a man quilter. I just want to be a quilter. Like I would be so stoked if somebody walked into a show and said, wow, isn't that a beautiful quilt? And then when they saw the name on it, they'd be like, oh, wow. And look, it was made by a guy too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of times guys get a little bit of a, um, a pass on sometimes workmanship. And I don't mean that to be rude, but I just think that ladies are so impressed that men are doing it that they often look past the fact that like, I'm speaking of my own quilts, man, my, my skill level really is quite poor. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's an honest answer. I think, um, you know, especially around just, um, standing out, you know, I mean, I think all of us are searching for a way to stand out. It's a crowded sure. marketplace and sure. there's a lot of people who make a lot of beautiful things and a lot of beautiful quilts and fabric designs and things. And everybody wants to be known for a particular thing. And it's hard to, it's hard to, to, to stand out among the crowd. And, um, and the fact that you are a guy, I mean, in all honesty, people mm-hmm. notice that. So absolutely. Especially know. more so before, like it helped me, yeah. get, it kind of helped me get out of the starting blocks earlier. And, and then, um, you know, now that there's a lot more men doing it, I think we all just feel a little bit more comfortable. So I don't think it's as much of a gender thing anymore, mm-hmm. but, but that was one thing. Yeah. Valerie Wells called me out on that probably about 10 years ago and said, you know, it's not quite fair that you show up at quilt market. And like within a few years, people know your name and we've been working for years and years and years to get noticed. And so what she said though, which I really appreciate, you know, she's a good friend of mine and friends speak honestly with each other. And she says, so your job is to use that notoriety to your benefit and your job is to improve your skill level. So she was the one who taught me like slow down on your quilts, make terrific quilts, make things that people will talk about more than because you're a guy. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. It was really good advice from a good friend. Yeah. So let's talk about your quilts a little bit. And you, okay. you said, um, you know, there was that, that you felt that people thought art quilts were <laughs> described art quilts as a four letter word. And, um, and yet I, you know, I think, I, I would characterize your quilts as art quilts, maybe. Oh, yeah. I mean, you use uh, fusible applique, and um, you make what I would describe as portrait quilts, um, or you have made many portrait quilts of animals, especially of endangered species, where yes. it's like a, a really big, blown-up, uh, single image of, you know, an animal's face, like a panda's face, for example. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and then you're doing free motion quilting, I think, right, on top of on top. That feasible. That is correct. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, so is this, I mean, did you kind of come to this technique organically on your own just by like cutting up fabric and sort of making a collage and kind of seeing, okay, well, how do I stick this all together and can I make this into a quilt? I mean, how did you develop this technique that you now teach and, and use? Sure. Sure. So, um, it started actually by using like large scale fish, like all over fish prints, maybe stuff that's too big for a Hawaiian shirt, stuff that Michael Miller fabrics was really known for. Um, and so what I would do is I'd build a real simple background where maybe I would patchwork together like a piece of sky fabric, like a strip of sky and then a bigger strip of like what would represent the surface of the ocean. And then maybe two or three batiks that were looked like underwater, you know, and then I would take and I would cut up all of the different fish and coral prints, like you said, as a collage that already had fusible web on them. And I would build a scene on top of these real basic, you know, three or four pieces of fabric that represented the the parts of the the environment. And by doing it in big clusters that way and not using any muslin in the background, I could cut and patchwork anywhere I wanted, or I could, I could place my applique anywhere I wanted. I didn't have to be so concerned about background showing through because the background was part of the quilt. 
And so I started kind of on that, like you said, like a, a, a fusible collage quilt, but they were to form a scene. So having the scene gave me direction. And then for my wife, for our first Mother's Day, I had this really cool picture of her and my son together. And so I, I wanted to see if I could use the same techniques and make a, a photographic portrait into a, you know, or, or a photo into a quilt. And so I did that and it was it, 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 he, my son looks a bit like an alien, but, <laughs> uh, you know, he, we, I, the technique and he have both gotten a lot more attractive. Uh, and so I then did one for Christmas when my daughter was born. So that would have been two years later. And I was much more, um, efficient with the way I shaped my pieces and managed my color and manage. Now, then I started using like my stitching to form the shape, you know, the curls in my wife's hair or the lines on our faces and stuff. So then I started thinking, oh, the free motion here is not just quilting, it's texture for the photograph. And then Michael Miller and I came up with the idea of doing the endangered species things. And then that was just blowing it way up. So using the same thing where I'd taken basically a photograph in a computer, I, I rendered it or I dumbed down the photograph so it was easy to see the different values of color or shades of color. And then I would flip it over. So if you're listening, you're getting a quilt lesson, by the way. And so I, I would flip it over, uh, like, like doing a, a transposed, a mirror flip. And then I would print it out to the size I wanted the quilt to be. And then I would take a Sharpie and I would start to find those splotches of color, like where maybe dark gray then went into light gray, you know, and that would be shadowing. And so I would represent those splotches with a Sharpie marker. And then I would just go ahead and use fairy frost uh, because it was a staple. I wanted to create kits and patterns that I could sell because it was a fundraising effort. We're um, using the, making the endangered species patterns now. And so it was basically a morph of the fussy cut collage of the sea life quilts into a determined pattern, you know, uh, raw edge applique for the animal quilts. And now I kind of do a little bit of both. Like I might make a mountain scene where I fussy cut trees, um, but I've, I've done a, you know, just a random piece of black batik for a mountain in the background and then put snow on it. Um, but I'm also teaching a ton of patchwork now because the applique quilts are very challenging to teach on man sewing because of the time frame. But the patchwork quilts are much easier because you can teach how to make a block and then you can tell them how to assemble all those blocks into a quilt. So again, I'm, I'm excited because the show is pushing me into more patchwork and the patchwork is helping me develop my technical sewing skills. And so it's, it's helping go back to that, you know, trying to, to live up to the caliber that all of us professional quilt makers are held at. Right, right, right. And do you feel like, um, being somebody who makes art quilts, I mean, has it, has that been a little bit sort of awkward at all? Or, I mean, do you feel like accepted, you know, when you go to quilt market or do you feel like, um, you know, there's a push more to do patchwork or to do modern quilting at this point? You know what I really have enjoyed um, is watching the the seasons change over and over again. So when I first started doing it, I really, Abby, was only doing what I could. I wasn't doing anything for anybody or or any reason. It was the only skills I had. It was to put, put fusible web on the back of a, a piece of fabric and cut out the fish and stick it to another piece of fabric, mm-hmm. you know? And then I was machine quilting free motion around that fish, and that actually helped me learn to be a better free motion machine quilter. Now I design quilts so that I can do free motion, so there's a lot more negative space, kind of like with the modern quilt 
you know, generation mm-hmm. provides visually. So what I've really enjoyed was when I started doing art quilts, art quilts weren't totally accepted at all. Machine quilted quilts weren't accepted necessarily and fusible applique quilts weren't accepted in a lot of shows. And then as you've also seen, you know, you look at the, the quilts that hang at a place like Houston, you know, when I first started going, there was a ton of traditional stuff and then it morphed into art stuff and then it morphed into modern and then it morphed kind of like I saw at the last show really intricate patchwork on a very traditional level but with a modern feel of color and a modern feel of the machine quilting on top of very intricate patchwork which was kind of like a really neat like old meets new and so um, there have been points where I have felt like my style of quilting was not what was the most popular style of quilting for sure but I still just I really make quilts because I love making quilts. And so I just do, I I hope this doesn't sound terrible, but I do what I damn well please. Yeah. No, I actually think that that's the best way to operate is that. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. Like I pursue what interests me most. And I feel like that as a guide is where you need to go. And people, you know, will follow or not, but it's basically just, you know, that's what gets me. And so that's where I'm going, you know? Yeah. Yeah, my slogan in my personal life is quilt first, maybe we'll market it later. Mm-hmm. Our our slogan at Missouri Star is we only use what we love, but we do sell what we use. And so we have a lot of people that are trying to sponsor us to do this, that, or the other, you know. Um, and so the only things you ever see on the set with myself or Jenny or Vanessa or anybody are things that we personally use in our own studios, um, but that we also try to make it available o- online. So it's been fun for me because Missouri Star, when they realized that I actually had several years in the industry and had a knowledge from a sewing machine technician background and a quilt shop owner background, um, they've actually spent a lot of time asking my opinion on different notions and different, um, you know, directions to go in for different supplies and things. And so I feel really tickled to be able to have a bit of, of knowledge. It's, it's kind of nice when a company that is as big as Missouri Star will come to you and say, yes, Rob, but you're the one that knows a lot about quilting. What do you, like, we're, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I've got a whole bunch of different threads and I got this random box of threads with a note that said, please test. I don't know what we're doing with that, but I'm testing a lot of thread right now. Yeah, you know? that's neat. It's neat to have that, um, that input. Yeah, I can yeah. see how that would be a lot of fun. Um, okay, so just tell us um, uh, before we get into your recommendations, uh, what's coming up next? What can people look forward to, whether it's with man sewing or with what Rapapel Designs is up to? Uh, oh, great. Um, yeah, so I think the easiest answer for that is my focus for the next several years is on man sewing. Um, I really enjoy making my projects myself. I think it makes me a better presenter. Um, because man sewing is a paid position, it brings me into my home studio and not on the road as much. So the answer you're really looking for is we're trying to book road trips or events around the United States that are bigger events that will allow me to get to meet more and more people and spend more time with more folks um, when I'm not in my studio. So starting to get a lot of fantastic offers from, you know, bigger shows and or uh, big quilt guilds that want to put on multiple guild events with us, uh, quilting cruises, retreats, a lot more time to get to spend teaching and just focusing on being that presenter. Uh, I don't feel like I have to chase my tail anymore. I, I've got a direction that I can really follow for a several years. That's right. so, 
So, yeah, that's what's coming up on man sewing. I think I told you we're, we're leaning a little bit heavier now onto the quilting side. So I want to break the quilting into like maybe a really crazy art quilt for one show and then maybe a couple basic quilts and then maybe a quilting technique. Like how do I address my borders or how do I miter corners or how do I put binding on or how do I base the quilt? Um, and then maybe I could just one specific free motion motif and spend like, you know, one week, like just eight minutes on practicing that motif. Um, because our last week, a couple of weeks ago, we put out a video that was free motion quilting. We had an incredible amount of positive feedback on it and people seem to really enjoy my approach to teaching that free motion quilting. So I think I would, I would like to offer now breaking it into the even more basic, just this design, you know, or this motif. So yeah, that's kind of what the future holds is I'm going to base it all around man sewing um, and hopefully get to spend a lot of time with the people that are being so supportive out there. Yeah, that sounds terrific. Um, yeah, I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So let's, um, let's hit a couple of your recommendations. First, um, you had a recommendation for a guitar kit that you can build yourself. Yes. I think the recommendations were kind of, I forget when we were we were doing email back and forth why the recommendations, but I remember that answer was based on the fact that as an artist that was lucky enough to get to have my art become my career, I had to find other things that I could do artistically and physically to to just be a goof off. You know, like so I what I'm trying to say is I had to have some art that was not income related. Yeah. So I found this really fun build your own electric guitar kit on the internet and uh, I'm not much of a woodworker so I spent several weeks uh building this electric guitar and uh, I have it sitting here next to me and I can I'm not going to play it but um uh, so I have it here and, and, and it's funny because it came with a lot of really crummy electronics in it. So now I get to go through and I get to start swapping out all the electronics and eventually the, the guitar can sound like a million dollar guitar for just a, a few hundred bucks, but it's all, it's fun. It's just customizing something, you know? Yeah, that's cool. But I do, I hear you on that seeking, um, something artistic related, something that you can make with your hands that has nothing to do with the thing that you used to make with your hands that now has become your job. So yeah. you, you know, so you have to sort of find a different outlet. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. Once you start making money from it, it feels like working when you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'll give you that same exact now, same exact uh, information with a different analogy. Cause a lot of people ask me about, do I long arm quilt? And one of the reasons that I don't use a long arm. I use a standard sit down. Well, now I've got a 16 inch sit down, but that's another story. I like to take my quilt out of a machine, lay it back over my design table. And I literally sit there and I pluck my guitar while I'm looking at the quilt when I'm trying to determine what I want to do for my quilting motifs on it. And so that's that same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm playing the guitar and freeing my mind up from the quilting process. But what I'm really doing is focusing back on what becomes the next phase of the quilting process. So um, yeah, just getting, getting your work out of your mind long enough that your work can come back into you and, and it feels organic again. Yeah. I think that's one of the ways that creativity really can't be rushed. Like you just need time to think about yeah. the next, um, creative challenge and how you might solve it. And within every quilt, there's, you know, thousands of small little challenges that have to be resolved. And it's all about that problem solving and you need time to be able to do that. You know, it, yeah. it has to sit overnight or sit up on the wall and you get, look at it and you come back later and look at it again. And so then something occurs to you, you know, and you need that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like the term percolate. 
Yeah, it needs to, that's bit. right. It does need to percolate. Okay, and we have, I have time for one more um, of your recommendations, and one of them that you um, you put on here is about time management. And um, uh-huh. you're a dad of two kids who yes. are, um, I guess, 10 and 12 now. Um, and uh, I'm a mom of three kids who are uh, 4, 9, and 11. So right. I, I'm in somewhat of the same boat and, uh, and have a business. You do a lot more traveling than me, but certainly time management um, that's a tricky one. Are you are you working at home in, in a home studio so your kids are yes. kind of around you? And, and how do you balance that out? Um, okay, so my wife is a school teacher. So there's two total different lifestyles. There's our summer lifestyle, and then there's the rest of the year. The rest of the year, I get up early. I take the kids to school, or I take my son to school. My wife goes uh, with my daughter to her school. Um, and then I come home. I do a quick devotion, a little yoga. I go surf. You know, nine thirty, ten o'clock. I'm in my home studio, and I can work until three. It's great. Um, in the summer, I try to get as much of my work done as I possible because now I have people all over the place, and I want to just have fun. And so, it's mostly that I have a hard time not being distracted. And so, what I've learned recently, and maybe this will be a good tip that will help, is the other thing that kills my time management is I panic when I look at a lot of projects. And for the way that I have to do man sewing, there'll be a day where a box will arrive and it will maybe contain the supplies for five or six new projects. And I'll lay it all out, and all of a sudden, I go into total overwhelmed panic mode. So, what I've learned is I put each series of fabric in a plastic tote that I'll stack on top of each other. And I've got a little walk-in closet in my studio and I slide all but one project into that walk-in studio so that I'm only managing one project at a time because I know on the first day when everything arrives that I'm going to get it all done, but I freak out. So what I'm trying to allow myself to do is prepare my day um, almost like a budget. So like I know that the things that need a lot of focus time have to be done before three o'clock when my children and my wife get home from school. I can fix sewing machines in the afternoon while it's loud in the house, but I can't have phone calls like we're on right now. I can't have, um, you know, distractions while I'm trying to design something. Uh, so I've just learned to budget my time um, that way, uh, you know, just take chunks and say, this is when I need quiet. This is when I need this. And then I've also learned to communicate with my family and try to explain that this is what we're trying to do this summer. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my big thing with time management is learning to treat it even as a stay at home, you know, independent contractor, basically self-employed that I still need to treat it like a job so that I don't let myself go through so many uh, hips and valleys of, of overwhelmness. Yeah, that's a great tip. Thank you so much for that. That's a really good one. I can imagine getting all those projects at once. I think that putting them away, each in their own bin in the closet is probably the best way to cope with that. So that is a good one. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, Rob, it's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be My on the Lashy Naps podcast. Yeah, I wish we had three or four more hours. This was <laughs> um, and where can people connect with you online? Where is the best way if they want to reach out, send you a message, say hi? Where okay. should they go? Okay, well, uh, technically nowadays, mansewing.com is probably the easiest way because there's social media in every different avenue through man sewing. Okay. And there's a couple of folks that are actually helping me manage all the social media. Um, but 
I do read all the comments. Anything that is personally addressed directly to me, it comes to my inbox. Yesterday, I got my first love note video from, I want to say she was about seven years old, sent me the sweetest video ever. We kept it private, obviously, but it was sent over to me. Um, So anybody that sends stuff through Mansoing, I definitely see it. There's also a robappel.com, but I'm not doing as much with my personal stuff on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram anymore because Mansoing is where most of the folks are, are following me anyway. So we're just putting all of our efforts at themansowing.com. Okay, great. I will definitely link to that in the show notes as well. Thanks. So, yeah, and you've been listening to the Walshie Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, walshienaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs, as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And check out our sponsor, Pattern Workshop, where you can start designing PDF sewing patterns today. Join hundreds of students who have learned to sketch, draft, modify, grade, tile, and market their PDF patterns in this interactive online course. Visit patternworkshop.com to find out more. And if you enjoy this show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.